Hey folks, Brian here. This episode is about a Dick Wolf show from the 90s. And as such, it covers topics like pedophilia and rape and does so in a rather horrifying manner. So if you don't want to subject yourself to discussion of that for a couple of hours, that's all right. We'll see you next week. Just wanted to put the heads up here at the very beginning. Anyway, on with the show. Any black person or Latino person you know who's alive in this era knows this show. It's it's, huh. it's the most... And I feel like nowadays that doesn't really happen anymore. Like Every black show, I think white people are kind of aware of now, like blackish and all this stuff. And, sure. you know... Even before then, with the Cosby Show and Good Times, mm-hmm. the people knew, but Fox had this thing going on where they got really big off of black shows, and the top three shows were black shows, and didn't want to just be like the black network. But it's crazy to think that the show had like 14 million. I mean, TV is so different now, like 14 million viewers, and that was considered like, hey, um, you need to step it up. Whereas now, like, shows have been considered hits. Oh, yeah. If you oh, yeah. 200,000. 14 yeah. is like impossible to right. get now. Yeah. yeah, you can't even get that now. And, and that was Danger Zone back then. Now like a right. show is like 200,000 viewers <laughs> and it's like uh, considered a smash hit. Watchmen had like, by the end, like 500,000, <laughs> 400,000 viewers. Wow, I didn't know oh. that. Oh, Holy yeah, shit. It, was not, it was not a hit. They lied and pretended that it was. But it was, it, was, it was not a hit. They called it, it the was, Netflix model as well, I believe. Yeah, what, what was that thing with, with Squid Game where they were saying... They didn't say how many people watched it. They said it generated like a certain number of value points for net Netflix. Like they didn't mm. even put like a real dollar amount sure, on it. Sure, sure. It yeah. was just like, oh yeah, Squid Game uh, really lifted the vibes <laughs> by this amount. <laughs> a thing with Squid Game though is, I suspect. I mean, I don't think it was fourteen million people good at yeah. all. I mean, as far as like what it made, but unlike a lot of shows. A lot of people off Twitter I talked to actually uh-huh. saw it. So, yeah. Yeah. so yeah. some shows, like, when you actually talk to people, I was surprised at how little viewership Watchmen had. But then when you, when you talk to people off the internet, you kind of realize, oh, wait a minute, maybe a lot of people didn't actually watch right. this this show. But my mom, like, freaking saw Squid Game. <laughs> so many possible worlds, but we got this one. So many possible worlds. Welcome to the worst of all possible worlds, the squid game of podcasts. <laughs> I'm the worst of all possible Brian's. I'm the worst of all possible AJ's. And uh, I'm the worst of all possible Josh's. And joining us today, we have a friend of mine who runs the fantastic podcast Champagne Sharks. Trevor, why don't you go ahead and say hello? Hey, how's it going? Trevor Bold, you have a podcast called Champagne Sharks. I don't want to say it's about race, but race kind of um, flows through through mm-hmm. all of it but it's about a lot of things like it has like a, a lot of pop culture takes a lot of regular political and cultural takes but we always try to keep a lens on on race and psychology going through it it's found anywhere that you find podcasts also we started a call-in show as in it's on a new app called call-in but it's also literally a call-in show <laughs> okay, so cool yeah, unfortunately it's only on ios right now 
so for android people you'll have to like watch a simulcast stream or something i'm, I'm but, so sorry um, I'm, I'm i think i'm the only android boy in this <laughs> oh really in this, in this right now am i am i is that true is everyone else yes. iOS? oh good okay yeah. well yeah i mean you can still like watch a call-in show but it's like you're on the outside looking in with your face pressed against the glass will i ever be more than i've always been i'm <laughs> yeah, tap tapping yeah, yeah. on that glass obviously both of our shows have in common that they are heavily pop culture centric and yeah. um, I actually came on Champagne Sharks about, what was it, like a month, month and a half ago? Yeah. And we talked about the Broadway play, which has actually since closed, uh, Thoughts of a Colored Man. And we sort of discussed what the play was, where it fits sort of into the current sociopolitical moment on Broadway. Uh, and then also you pitched me the idea of coming on to our show and talking about New York Undercover. And I had never heard of it. I was fascinated because... Uh, Brian, AJ, and I had talked about doing a Dick Wolf show at some point, but we were thinking about it all in the terms of like Law and Order or the Chicago, other current franchises. Yeah. Chicago, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, it's like, it's well, not a franchise, Josh. It is a brand. Right. That right, is right. very, Dick Wolf makes that very clear. It's, a, it's not a franchise. It's a cinematic, it's a brand. cinematic universe is exactly. really what it is. And I'm going to say that to Dick Wolf someday. I was thinking about shows for a while. What would be a good, good one? And I forgot how I remembered this one, but I was like, this one would be interesting just because I don't know any white people who have seen it and, and you know, are like fans of it, but every single black and Hispanic person who was alive back then and living in America knows this show i guarantee you it was the show like it was the water cooler show for uh and something about it too the one thing that does hold up about this show is as a as a music time capsule the music holds up it's mm-hmm. it's incredible especially back then when a show was based in an urban um milieu they we're not always good with urban music, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It would always be like kind of inauthentic or dated. Yeah, like, like yeah. a pastiche almost. Like. Yeah, yeah. Whereas that show, the music is super authentic to the era. It was cutting edge. Like It would be like what you were just listening to last week. I think it's one of the reasons I suspect why it's hard to get it a DVD release. because Absolutely. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, it's hard to get clearance rights. Like, for example, there was another show that was very popular in the 80s called Tour of Duty. It was a CBS Vietnam show that was really mm. good, but it had insanely good music on it. And that made it really impossible to put on DVDs and whatever. They put it on DVD anyway, but swapped out for like homemade music. Out. And yeah. it was really, yeah. really, yeah. really bad. I was going to talk about this a little bit because with the 90s, of course, not just with shows that that gathered more of a black demographic, but with a lot of TV dramas in general, we just don't really have a lot of them either in syndication or on streaming or home video sitcoms. Yeah, but not these dramas. And a big part of it was, yeah, they kept using music this way and didn't have any kind of licensing to future proof. it. Right. Yeah. So like one of my parents' favorite shows growing up was Northern Exposure. Right. And the, the first season of Northern Exposure, which was like a half season, it was six episodes. When that was first released on DVD, it was a hundred dollars because they had all of the licensed music in it. And oh that was God. like, we can't do that with six, with, with five full length seasons in addition to this one. So when they started releasing season two and onward, they did ex- exactly the same thing as Tour of Duty where they replaced most of the music except for the Broadway songs because those were cheap. Uh, sure. <laughs> that's that's such a shame. And, and replaced it with like license-free inst- like elevator music, basically. Nobody was really buying whole shows back then. Even VHSs yeah. right. reflect, yeah. reflect movies. So I don't think anybody even thought 
about this is something that we have to even no way think yeah. about. Yeah. No one's gonna want to rewatch our whole series. All of their licenses were just built for syndication. Like yeah. if they're going to get picked up by right, cable right. after hitting a hundred episodes. The other thing about the licenses too, of course, then is that they're time bound. Like the, mm-hmm. the licenses expire after a period of time. You're not licensing these songs in perpetuity. You're licensing yeah. them for a period of time. Speaking of Northern Exposure, Kevin Arkadai, one of the uh, co-creators of New York Undercover, worked on Northern Exposure. Oh, oh funny. Interesting. Oh, wow. <laughs> There's this woman. She writes really well about this stuff. Her last name is Zook. Z-O-O-K. And she talks all about, and she's actually in the video that i sent you sent you guys but she has a she has these books about how in like the 90s and the 2000s fledgling networks used to build their foothold with black audiences so upn when it first started just had all Mm -hmm. these black shows the cw right but fox you know did it too where they were like okay we can make money by fitting and filling in underserved audience but uh, New York on the cover was an interesting show in that they had Martin, which I feel like has mm-hmm. thrived this syndication. Yep. I, I've met like a lot of white people who have discovered yeah. Martin after the fact oh, from yeah. reruns and like and like love it. But when it first aired, that was one of the shows that was uh, you know primarily like a like a black love show. I think it was about to be like one, two, or three in the black community. They, these were the big three. They were all on the same night, and it was brilliant because they were on Thursday night, so it was counter program to Seinfeld, Mad About You, Friends, and whatever the revolving fourth musty TV show was. That's why I think the show is so racially divided because all of white America was right. on the NBC Seinfeld block. <laughs> yeah. well, and, and, and it's, it's yeah. worth noting as well there, you know, in terms of the landscape of the networks at this time, yeah, you've got NBC, which is must-see TV Thursday nights, you know, has the... Has the discourse locked down? Everybody's talking about friends. Everybody is seeing that block as being synonymous with, you know, prestige television wasn't really a thing at that point, but it was what you would be watching if you were up on the stuff that people who read the New York Times talk about. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, and, And additionally... These are all comedies, right? This is this is stuff that yeah. is targeted toward white people and targeted toward uh, toward laughs. Whereas New York Undercover is very much a drama. Like this is this is not. There are moments of levity, but it is a it is it's a police procedural, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have like jokes really. No, no, it doesn't. But you know what's interesting is I'm not sure exactly why it works out this way, but you know Fox launched by buying up a bunch of. Um, local stations that were Mm -hmm. you know before just the kind of local stations that played syndicated stuff and whatever then they bought them and made them network so for whatever reason all those local stations always have the nightly news at 10 and whereas the big networks used to have it at 11 so like what used to happen was nbc would have like two hours of comedy then 10 to 11 block used to on Thursdays was the drama. So right. it would be like oh, okay. the four sitcoms and then ER. And that was the Thursday night powerhouse. Now Fox had to do it with an hour less because it starts at 10. So they had two sitcoms, Martin and then living single. And then they're like powerhouse drama with air at nine instead of having. So it was kind of the same format. It was two sitcoms and a powerhouse drama versus four sitcoms and a powerhouse drama. Here's what's really interesting. It's kind of become common knowledge now, but Friends was actually a ripoff of Living Single, the mm-hmm, Fox right. show. Yeah. It's on record that the head of NBC, the president, 
said that the show he most wants on a rival network is Living Single. And a year later, they got, uh, I think, Kevin Bright to do Friends. And it's the ex- almost the exact huh. same same format down to the two apartments and the girls apartments and the, and the guys apartment yeah it's whatever. fascinating watching the two shows like back to back and you're like oh this is the same yeah, format, yeah. almost <laughs> verbatim i think the other piece just to really frame up then the network wars here is that fox as you sort of alluded to was not yet a powerhouse this would happen yeah. later on it took fox pivoting their programming a little bit and then particularly landing uh, american idol uh, in the early 2000s that would really put them on the map as a true big four network, uh, as well as as well as the NFL. Yeah, they had, they had Simpsons, but outside right. of Simpsons, there wasn't really. Yeah, they, they had so Sunday much. night locked down that like right. that that prime t- yeah. uh, TV spot of Sunday night. They got it uh, when there wasn't <laughs> right. football on. files, Simpsons. Yeah. yeah so so uh, last thing I was going to say is like, I think that's a big reason why no white people know about this show because at least Martin and Living Single, white people could discover through syndication and yeah. and you know right. DVDs later after. But at the time, all the white people were watching NBC on Thursdays and all the black people and and um yeah, it was it was a it was a very, very interesting interesting time. And it's kind of in a in a limbo of yeah. a, a memory hole, this show. Yeah. And, and and so the other big figure then that I want to put into this picture is, of course, one man who everybody knows, executive producer Dick Wolf. Um, <laughs> what's so interesting about uh, if you go to Dick Wolf's Wikipedia page is that um, he is he, he it has like all the names he's also known as. And one of them is Richard D. Wolf. And his middle name does not begin with the letter D. <laughs> That's so interesting. I, I mean, I feel I feel like the whole Dick Wolf empire. I don't watch these shows that much because I just don't like them right at all is it's 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 this joyless like factory which makes them actually really fun to work on because i worked on an episode of law and order and i wasn't there more than three hours because everyone's just like okay let's just fucking get it done okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. and go home yeah yeah it's a machine um, at this point that's yeah. what it is and he is more machine than man um, <laughs> <laughs> those shows are those shows are weird in that either you have the gene or programming in your brain that makes them click for you yeah or doesn't and i feel like this i've never met anyone who's halfway into those shows like everyone i know either yeah. just watches them religiously or i'm cause, like i had a roommate that he could just sit at home and watch law and order um repeats all day long that's my just, partner yeah yeah, yeah. And, procedurals and, and, are just like it's it's everything you know but it's funny i can even like procedurals i just don't like that one is just so formatted yeah, and right. regimented and, yeah. you know, I just can't uh, really I don't hate it, but it just does nothing for me. But, yeah, people you, if you I never tried the Chicago ones. I don't know what those are like, but, yeah, a lot of them feel pretty. It's law and order, except in Chicago. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, a yeah. lot of them How feel very apply like apply to like a fire department, though. I mean, unless it's just the old emergency format from the 70s. I think it kind of is. I don't know. I haven't actually watched it. So, I, you know, yeah, I'm talking out of my ass right now. But but they um, uh, they, they do feel like vaguely joyless, which is actually a thing mm-hmm. that I enjoyed about New York undercover is that they at least try at certain yeah. points to like inject a little bit of personality and mm-hmm. like levity into certain moments. Um, I'm thinking about when Williams comes on the roof in the pilot specifically and uh, is singing up is like screaming a prayer to heaven in order to get right. um, Torres yeah. to like uh, lighten up a little bit. And it's just uh, like, Oh, there's like actual like character stakes here. That's yeah. interesting. Well, th- this is an era where like, 
really grimy, gritty police dramas took over. And, and, and like Dick Wolf was sort of one type of that. And then you kind of had the Botchko stuff on the other side. Yeah. It all kind of came from the same point, but there's like one type of show that like that wins. Yeah. Um, so like we, you know, the, they made In the Heat of the Night into a movie. Or, I mean, sure. they made it from the movie into a TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was Homicide Life on the Street from um, David Simon, NYPD Blue, which just all the cops are just like snorting coke and like <laughs> killing people in back alleys. Yeah, and, and that show doesn't get enough credit for being proto prestige TV. Like that absolutely. was very proto prestige TV. I mean, they even showed ass in the pilot, and I yeah. think they were I think they were the first like network show to say shit, huh. or at least the first in that era, maybe after the seventies or something. But um, so. Yeah. Just to just to yeah. get the Dick Wolf thing out of the way here, so that we like we have the context. <laughs> just to get it out of my face. Get the Dick Wolf I just out want, of my I face. I just want the Dick Wolf out of my face. Dick Wolf came up in advertising, um, and you know you can very much see that uh, understanding of marketing. It is always first and foremost. He calls in it any the Dick art Wolf of production. the tiny, which I think is the funniest thing on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> Moved to LA, uh, became a screenwriter, and really got his big like. Uh, TV exposure with working on St. Elsewhere, as okay. well as uh, Hill Street Blues and Miami Vice. Yeah. Hill Street Blues, the, the critic out on Superwall, like, traces, like, the start of prestige TV, like, you know, you know, like, mm-hmm. what, what Iggy Pop is to, like, punk rock. He kind of right. starts with Hill Street Blues, you know, as right. the... Uh, okay. He is in the right rooms at the right place at the right time, and he gets the right connections yeah. to pitch a show... Uh, that he originally wants to call Night and Day, realizes pretty quickly that that's a terrible name and instead calls it Law and Order. And Law and Order uh, first airs on NBC Network in 1990 and pretty quickly becomes a, a pretty pretty big success. There's, there's new ground being trod with Law and Order because mm-hmm. typically this type of show in the past like to focus on defense attorneys. Right. right. Perry right. Mason, Matt Locke, uh, that one with Jimmy Stewart that lasted for like six episodes in the 70s. You know, you have the wrongfully accused client and then it's the responsibility of the defense attorney to find out not only why they're innocent, but who actually did it, you know, serving the role of detective. Right. right. There and was going Dick to Wolf. be a law and order uh, for the defense. And then that just. That's right. I remember that. But he started out really wanting to do the opposite. He wanted something about prosecutors. He did right. not want. He was like, no, we want to get the fucking guilty people the first time around. Uh, I have a quote. No, this I have presumption a quote of here. innocence shit. Yeah, no, I, I have a quote here from Dick Wolf uh, in, in this recent interview uh, where he was talking about the FBI and how, he's, how he said that every FBI agent that you meet is exactly the kind of guy that you'd want them to be because there are some real bad guys out there and oh, we could have someone to catch them. Uh and uh, another, I think, quote from Dick Wolf that I think is very informative about his work is change has never been beneficial for a show. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. I'm, I'm, I mean, financially, financially, he's kind of right. Yeah. No, yeah. he's not wrong. Yeah. It's interesting um, considering how much change got imposed onto this show. And, though. and I think I, I think it's part of the problem with the memory hole it's in because mm-hmm. Gen X, black and Latino people are not really the kind of people who are today making obscure video essays on YouTube. I feel like yeah, that's yeah, really yeah, yeah, yeah. the trivia. Like a 40-something-year-old black or Latino person is not, you know, on YouTube. Like, let me just make a 30-minute video. 
about this thing with special effects. The, so, uh, yeah. the two, the two lead, uh, the IMDb trivia thing was that the two leads uh, asked for more money, and then Dick Wolf wrote in uh, the first episode of season three, uh, where both their characters were killed off, and then they <laughs> uh, stepped back from wanting that raise. And then um, to- the de- the detective Torres left at the end of season three and was replaced right. for season four. Right. Uh, but but I wasn't Williams sure if he. Because this, this this varying things about whether he quit or was fired, depending on on what you read, it's different. Like I read mm. a story, for example, that he didn't know that he got blown up. Like the like he from the scene oh. where he turns on the the car, and then mm-hmm. you know he thinks he's driving away, and then they cut in the car exploding. Incredible. This different, like, you like know. he just goes home at the end of the day. Well, that was a nice day of shooting, and then they're like, "By the way, don't come back." Sometime <laughs> <laughs> on me turning the key to the ignition, and that felt a little weird. But That's I mean, other so than that, and, and, and you, you know what's just weird about the show too is that it was insanely popular, and they just wouldn't leave it alone. They just couldn't right, get yeah. over the fact that the show didn't have enough white people. Right. So from the beginning, and, and that's so fascinating too, considering Dick Wolf's whole maxim of like the best way to have a success is to just leave it alone because they had something successful. And yeah. in a moment, we're going to pivot into like talking maybe, about, maybe this is where you learned it from. Maybe, well, maybe it could this, be, it could be, yeah. honestly. Yeah. yeah. To go from getting 14 million viewers to it flopping so bad, you did, they didn't even air the final episode. Like season no four, way. everybody left the show. Like, yeah. It was so bad. Everybody bailed on the show and and absolutely loathed it. Everyone was so upset with what it what it became. And it's like, yeah, maybe that, that that's what maybe that, that scarred him. And <laughs> he was like, yeah, I, he, he was one of the people that was really fighting with those with those actors all the time. Fox Network at the time, as we've as we've noted, was a whole bunch of local networks that got bought up by News Corporation and turned into an actual network that was a little different, that was showing a little bit different programming. But it wasn't really a real network yet in the sense of like being able to regularly go toe to toe with the bigs and pull equivalent ratings, at least up until they got the contract for the NFL, which was in the mid 90s. And that sort of like helped them get to the point that they are at now. Right. And before the NFL, Fox was casting the widest net that it could. So right. it would grab something like New York Undercover or In Living Color or Martin, or it would do like The Simpsons and Married with Children, or it would do like Disney family shows like Home Improvement, or it would do uh, this very new documentary kind of show like Cops. And right. I threw all of them on the same network to see what was sticking. And, uh, you know, yeah, I, I guess I never really considered how like wide the variety of Fox programming was, right. you know, where NBC was pretty, yeah. pretty regimented in its in its programming. Like Fox was really kind of the Wild West. And having the opportunity then to get a Dick Wolf show. It's really two people that make the show what it is. It's Dick Wolf and Andre uh, Harrell. And right. Andre Harrell's. He's he's kind of a perfect analog to the show in that he's somebody that is very very well known in the the black community, black entertainment, but wouldn't be on you know a lot of uh, white people's radar. But he's one of the early pioneers of uh, hip hop music as a viable business, and oh, his his label was called Uptown Records. He died recently. I think it might have been like two years ago. But I mean. This guy, he basically discovered and put on Heavy D and the Boys, Jodeci, Mary J. Blige is his discovery and was mm-hmm. on his label. Like he he actually started um Puff Daddy. Puff Daddy was That's his saying, yeah. uh discovery, oh, wow. was his intern. 
So okay. Oh wow. So uh, he taught Puff Daddy the whole game. Then eventually uh, fired Puff Daddy for something, and uh, Puff Daddy ended up founding Bad Boy Records. But right. they kind of re- remained friends, and that was his mentor. And then for whatever reason, Uptown Records kind of started to uh, fall off. But he was very instrumental in making hip hop what it was. He was instrumental in merging R and B with hip hop. You know, through Mary J. Blige okay. and yeah. Jodeci. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, he's like a real like innovator. That's what gives the show its urban authenticity. Like, like right. Nick Wolf couldn't uh, right. do that. And interestingly, Ice-T started his relationship with Dick Wolf through Andre Harrell because Andre Harrell was the guy who was able to get all the musicians on. He was able to huh. make yeah. sure the music sounded authentic. It didn't sound like one of those shows that's run by a middle-aged white guy, but it's supposed yeah. to be about, uh, you know, no hip-hop. Yeah. He uh, gives it that authenticity, and then uh, he ends up introducing Ice-T to Dick Wolf, and then they hit it off. And then, Well, yeah, and the rest is history, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, and, and I'm seeing here, too, just because I'm, like, I, I'm reading as well to make sure I can fill anything in that's necessary. This multimedia deal, there was a multimedia deal then that came about with MCA uh, records, which is what led to this this show New York Undercover was part and parcel of that deal. What you have here then is this confluence of three big factors. You have um Dick Wolf bringing sort of the industry chops and network connections. You've got Kevin Arkadai bringing in the writing skill. Yeah, he was he was um, a play, he was a playwright. He was a Southern Methodist University theater guy uh okay. who then moved oh, to the okay. city and he had he wrote a play called A Life Like the Rest which uh got a a pretty okay review in the New York Times. Um, and then with that review, he w- was able to go to LA and get into a play, play reading circle out there. His okay. play was read out loud and then th- that got him into a writer's room, Northern Exposure, so on and so forth. He worked on sure. Alienation for a bit and then that got him in contact with Dick Wolf's people. And then the the third piece we have here is Andre Harrell, who is bringing the music industry connections and experience and just sort of overall uh, vibe that sort of we'll see permeates the, the Yeah, show. and there's also, um, he's another guy who's very popular in uh, black art circles, especially for that time. He's still pretty active today. He and his wife are like a power couple in Hollywood to this day, but uh, Reggie Rock by the Wood. I don't know if you guys ever heard Mm-mm. that no. name, but he has a wife, G- Gina. I don't know how you pronounce his name because it's B-Y-T-H-E-W-O-O-D. So I don't know if it's Bythewood or yeah. B- By the Wood. Yeah. You know, you know, but you sure? um Yeah. Okay, and this guy's he, also from the Bronx, I'm seeing. So Yeah, and, and he was uh he mostly directs now. He had multiple he had multiple credits on the show. He was a okay. producer for 26 episodes, a co-producer for 25, supervisor producer for 24. Uh so he was kind of promoted in the third season sure and i don't think he was right. there for the final so he he was varying levels of producer for 75 episodes which i think is the first three seasons he left for the fourth one that no one even watched um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is another reason why why it suffered but he was very responsible as well for a lot of the authenticity and tone sure, yeah. of the show he also wrote according to imdb 12 episodes i'm looking here as well on his uh on wikipedia i'm seeing that he's also got a theater background uh went to marymount manhattan got a bfa mm. in theater there co-founded a theater company uh one of those classic like uh you know raising consciousness social justice kind of um companies 
and then worked on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and met his wife there. And then from there, pretty much went straight to doing New York Undercover. It was called New York Undercover for a reason. They used to do a lot of mm-hmm. undercover work. Mm-hmm. And for whatever right. reason, occasionally- None of these episodes really- yeah. <laughs> Last yeah. five minutes, they, they squeezed yeah. it in there, but yeah. Yeah, there was one episode where like she comes on and it was the most unconvincing undercover thing ever. <laughs> uh, it was so bad. But so they used to have like kind of 21 Jump Street, like whole episodes where they would okay. be in- Okay, oh, I was wondering about that because yeah. I was like, this just feels like a regular Law and Order episode, except that they just are wearing normal clothes. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. just by by bad luck, we didn't actually get any of the okay. Like, like, like there's one where like Malik Yoba, the black guy, is playing mm-hmm. like a Cuban guy, and he's doing his best Scarface impression. Oh my god, that's <laughs> awesome! Like, awesome. Oh, he, he, that yeah, sounds they, I think, really like, good. One time they were in drag, they they dressed up as women. They would have oh, these, right. and that one was kind of funny. You like, watch that one. The show could be. I had a little bit of humor. Like some episodes would be kind of like funny. And for whatever reason, like these were all like kind of angsty, very low on um, undercover work episodes. So they weren't like the best range of episodes, but you get the personality across of the different um, characters, characters and stuff. So they killed him at the end of three. I think they killed um, Malik Yoba's uh, girlfriend as well. And they, killed, oh, no. and they killed the white guy as, as oh, well. Oh, McNamara, yeah. Oh, okay. McNamara. Like this. Fuck that guy. Oh, no, but we know it's kind of weird. I was. That first two episodes is not typically how he was. I don't know what mm. they were trying to do in those first episodes, but he was a real racist dick in those first two episodes yeah. in the way that he kind of wasn't in the rest he was actually pretty okay. likable like people liked him oh okay by the so end they of were the like season. this is this is a bad idea we're gonna change oh, it to something right else now. yeah 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 so i got a feeling that maybe like they kind of tested it or they, they someone says something i'm like okay we can't have a whole season of this guy being like this but he was actually a pretty chill dude right. do you know who uh mcnamara was that's you can kind of see it once you know um and, and look for it. He's Anthony LaPaglia's uh, brother. Wait, they're Australian? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know he was Australian. I always thought he was some kind of a uh, Goomba from yeah. <laughs> some East Coast city. I never knew he was. Yeah, Mushroom I, Kingdom, I, just, I believe. They're, 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 very very good, pops they're very good at... I, I love that two Italian-Australian men come to the U.S. and just play Italian-American yeah, men. for them. <laughs> or, or Irish-American men in the case of McNamara. Boy, this truly, uh, this truly is... Uh, without a Trace ran for 160 episodes? God, oh, no sh- fucking way. That's insane. This truly is either. the land of opportunity, isn't it? Where yeah. some <laughs> fucking... For Australians, sure. <laughs> we recapped, uh, or we watched, rather, uh, four episodes in advance of recording this. And so the first episode that we watched is called School Ties. Where we start here is uh there's this weird like two minute montage at the beginning of these girls who are just like going to the club uh and dancing with dudes and honestly then i card. i really do- i really dig the the dialogueless montages that open <laughs> i think every episode through the first three seasons uh, after that title card uh we then are in the precinct new yeah. york city's fourth precinct and we see the lieutenant lieutenant virginia cooper Thank played you. by uh, patty darbinville who seems like they cast her because of some similarity that she has to Gillian Anderson. And as the show yeah. goes on, they're like, okay, you need to look more like her this season. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, here's the thing. Here's the thing about this Lieutenant. She's tough, but fair. You know, mm. she, 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 she's, good point. they're also she's in a re- precinct that I'm pretty sure was once a bank. 
Um, <laughs> she, there's this balcony where she's able to decry messages like a messenger in a Greek tragedy to the entire precinct. <laughs> and, and, and something weird about that show too is, and if I forgot this when I rewatched it, but they were really into trying to inject New York accents whenever they mm-hmm. could. Oh, yeah. And a lot of them are comically bad, but hers yeah. is authentic. She Everything I see her in, she talks with a new, a very strong New York accent. So, well, well she's made like one of, choice and stuck with it for her entire yeah, career. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She wasn't trying to get rid well, of it. She, she's kind of like uh, Leah Romini, where she's like, "Hey, this is just yeah. take it or leave it." So, yeah. I got a feeling like some people they just hire because, hey, they have a New York accent, just put him in. If you right. don't have one, I mean, just yeah. fake it. So, there's, there's some people that would obviously fake. New York accents. Like, yeah, she's hey, not the guys, newsy what's boy. What's going on? There's, there's, yeah. Yeah. She's right, not the newsy boy that? midway through. He's like, get off my sneak, is he? That was yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that guy that was, was, awesome. was really bad. That yeah. was horrible. So, along with uh, the lieutenant, we also then meet our, our two other main players here Detective J.C. Williams, mm-hmm. played by Malik Yoba, and Detective Eddie Torres, played by Michael DeLorenzo. Uh, both of whom are fucking great. I mean, just yeah, like, they're awesome. so good. Their performance, like sometimes what they're given to work with is not the best, but they always ground their performances in this really like believable. I don't know. They just, they, I, I, I believe them. I believe what they're doing. Everyone liked Malik Yoba better at the time because I think his character just had more to kind of do as far as um, acting out. You know what I mean? Like, like for example, that rooftop, like he's a very likable for sure guy. Whereas... Torres is a little bit more abrasive and mm-hmm. everything, but they complement each other very well. I mean, the reason I bring that up is because I think a lot mm. of people who didn't even think they liked Torres that much really realized how much they liked him when he was when he was gone. And yeah, exactly. Oh, absolutely. I include myself with that. One of the things that I really enjoy about the way that they play against each other is that there is that very believable undercurrent of, I don't know if you would say it's like homoeroticism. It's not that, but it is that like really deep, Dudes meaningful rock. male yeah. dudes rock kind of bond yeah, right? yeah dudes yeah. rock yeah. for sure uh, so that's interesting about that is um, I was looking at it now and I was like wow there's something really homoerotic happening in this first episode <laughs> but younger I was like so naive none mm-hmm. of it yeah. crossed my mind and I feel like in this era of like Tumblr and slash picking everything to death. Oh like, God, yeah, there would like, be so yeah. much yeah. slash about them to spot those things now. Right, right, right. And, mm-hmm. and, and if that happened like today, they, they would be like a million uh, slash <laughs> fishings about Absolutely. the two of them. The, the whole idea of shipping had just started too on uh, online message boards for the X Files at this time. Oh sure, sure. At this point, a lady comes in. She's crying. She tells them that her daughter, who is 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 in tow, uh, was raped, and then they. This is at this point, then they bring the girl in to interrogate her. And her story is that she was at the club uh, with her friend, met up with some guys. The guys took advantage of her and she points to um, the she, she remembers that they had these jerseys. She remembers what football team they were playing for. And uh, Williams and Torres are like, we want to take this case because we think we can get to the bottom of it. Yeah. And of course, Lieutenant being tough but also fair, lets them uh, do an exception to the normal rule, which would put it in the hands of like a special victims unit kind of deal and have uh, a a female lead on. I mean, I think one of the most far-fetched things about all four episodes in a world of far-fetched things is that <laughs> sure. uh, cops would care this much about um, a, a rape case, especially the rape oh, of, a, uh, yeah. of a Puerto Rican girl. Like, like yeah. they yeah. actually devote manpower to a single 
uh, teenage Puerto Rican girls rape, and anyone I know who has been uh, raped and described going to the cops for it is just like a lot of indifference. Like, well, what, what do you want us to do? You want to put up something? Okay, right. He's a rape. Yeah, kid. and then they and then they put it in the in the file cabinet, and it's gone. But yeah, this, like, yeah, you don't exactly. ever think about it again. Yeah, and these guys are like agonizing over it. This also speaks to the the Dick Wolfiness of this show, right? That. These are uh, these these cops the are the good guys. Yeah. They're the upholders of valor. And so, what ends up happening next then is that they go off to investigate what the situation is. Uh, they go to the salon to meet the girl's friend who corroborates the story, although she didn't actually see what happened in the room. Uh, the guy at the go- salon is wearing a vest that looks like he skinned the Little Mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> and then they also go off to meet the football team. And uh, at this point, they're like, "Look, we." Honestly, it, we're not going to say what happened there, but I think that she wanted it, which is super fucking problematic. Uh, I don't think that it would have been framed up this way in the year of our Lord 2022, but you oh, know, this no. is almost <laughs> yeah, this a 30-year-old show. Her, her, her lying would not be allowed to uh, happen on a show no. today, I don't God, think. No. Yeah, and also I think the, uh, the doctor calls and says uh, if she was raped, she got off easy. Which is perhaps one of the most fucked up things I've yeah. ever heard in my life. Real um, bad. Real I'd bad. Also, I think that the salon scene sort of demonstrates for me like the limitations of a gritty procedural uh, with the line that Torres says to threaten the, uh, yeah. the owner of the salon. I bet I can be a bigger jerk than you so fast you wouldn't even believe it, which <laughs> is it, it, there's a certain level of like you can't achieve realism as long as you're saying lines yeah. like I bet I can be a bigger jerk than you. And, and, and I got <laughs> to say to the actor's credit he sold it as best as you possibly can oh, a, yeah, line, no. a line that lame yeah he's yeah. great but that well, that line yeah. is terrible uh so we cut back to the police station and we get a little backstory on uh torres and uh his mom uh mm-hmm. got the results of the test back and she definitely has, definitely breast, has breast cancer, cancer. um <laughs> Uh, I haven't seen mom in six years, he says to his sister who comes to deliver the news. And his sister says, we all know that, Uh, which implies, which is is funny to me because it's like implying the audience also knew it. It's like she's just pointing the camera. We all know that, Taurus. I was sort of baffled, I think, by the fact that both of them kept their gun holsters in their butts. Uh, and this was the first scene where you really get a good shot of Torres's. And I, I guess being undercover, you'd want to conceal your gun in a surprising way, but I wouldn't really choose to do one, uh, where it could possibly shoot me in, in the literal butthole. Um, yeah, I think they're trying to be cool and it just was not very practical. Did not make sense. Cause mm. they were trying to make them seem like, yeah, they're cops, but they're hip hop cops. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, they have to have like, a little bit of swag. A lot of sleeveless shirts too that I just mm-hmm. think were not yeah. working. <laughs> it's so, and actually that is something that I just love about this show is the costume design. Like it's such a time capsule. It's yeah. so yeah. fucking good. Yeah. Rayon dress shirts. That was just a thing. And, that's the material. I don't know what they even did. Was this shown to cause cancer or something? Like, it just disappeared in a I very suspicious way. I think it just came out way. of style. The, the, the color scheme on Torres's sister, too, like, the, those bright purples and just that, that very, like, bright popping color. Like, I, I actually do genuinely miss that as a fashion thing. Like, everything is much more muted. I mean, all um, of this yeah. is cyclical. Or just, like, seeing stuff on TV that had that kind of color in mm-hmm. it, too. Oh, everything sure. now is just... Like gray Desaturated. and crushed. Ozark, and, yeah. you can't even tell what's happening half the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I will say, in terms of what's coming up and what's cool again now, B- 
big colors and big splashy textures are back in a big way. You heard it here uh, first. So from fashion yeah. guru Josh Borman. <laughs> well, right. it, it helps that so much stuff is shooting in Albuquerque too. So there's just a lot of color around. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, in the scenery. I have noticed like on certain networks, especially like Netflix lately has had like a lot of saturation on. Yeah. They're actually going too far the other way and on some shows yeah. now where <laughs> yeah. things look almost like video games. It's so everything's either desaturated and muted or it looks like um, video game Technicolor. It's just bizarre. The quarterback claims that uh, she came on to him, like straight up. You know, this was not a situation where he forced himself on her, but she was basically seducing him. Torres flips his shit um, because, you know, he, he's he's upset. He, he identifies with this girl. They're both Puerto Rican. Um, and meanwhile, Williams uh, is uh, empathizing with the quarterback. And then uh, Williams goes up on the roof to meet Torres. And that's where they have that scene, which I think is actually one of the n- most interesting scenes in this episode. Absolutely. This is the one that we were talking about earlier. Williams comes up and is, is doing like this whole uh, prayer to God uh, kind of weird, like over the top performance thing. Torres is like, I don't fucking want like I'm 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 stop your bullshit, please. Like I'm in a mood um, and we need to take this seriously. And they sort of unpack, like, to what extent are they allowing their view of the facts to be colored by their own personal experience? And then we cut to them very deep in thought, uh, Torres wandering the streets uh, underneath a bridge uh, with this very, like, sort of orchestral swell underneath them. And I'm like, if he starts breaking out into song, I will love the show <laughs> for the rest of my life. Um, yeah. and, 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 Cop and, rock, too. Yeah. And, yeah. And, also, and also, like, just the fact, again, that they care this much about one girl's rape you oh know, it's, like, it's like the girls. only yeah. thing yeah. they care about yeah, yeah 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 they've they've thrown they don't even have anything else like on, on the, the docket. docket it's just <laughs> this job and only this until it's solved and, and, and also while torres is walking around there's a scene where he just litters which i don't know just, <laughs> I just find funny. He, to be he just throws a sandwich in the street and i feel like you wouldn't see that today either like no someone just um, randomly littering in, in, in harlem anyway next thing that happens is that torres stakes out the salon um, and follows the girl uh, all the way down under the Manhattan Bridge overpass on the Manhattan side. And uh, also that field there looks exactly the same. Uh, follows her to that like softball football field <laughs> oh, there. It's that's still right. there. Yeah. And it still looks exactly the same. It's down there in two bridges. She has now gone to uh, the football practice of the other team. And she is kissing the football player on the other team. Ruh-ruh. And And I wrote in big text, this storyline would not fly. In 2022. Oh, no. absolutely not. So fucking wild. No, the last point. time anyone ever got away with this plot line was uh, season three of the newsroom. <laughs> um, and got away with is doing a lot of heavy lifting. I was going to say, did Aaron Sorkin get away with anything in the newsroom? I'm not convinced. <laughs> and, you know, and, you know, like, it's the kind of thing that, you know, could happen, I suppose. Right. It's not even the fact that a girl would lie about a rape for a reason like this i thought was extra ridiculous like oh, just so this plot makes no sense yeah it makes whatsoever no sense like for example if it was something like you know she had a very strict christian father or something and maybe it was a racial difference too oh, and you sure, got, mm-hmm. you know, sure. you were making some kind of like maybe emmett till type of case right, or right. 
Something yeah. like that, but but just to help a bookie throw a <laughs> just game. Just to throw a football game. It's just to so throw a football awesome. game. God, the the amount that the bookie had she to has be a like, lot of money writing on this. Her bookie is really on <laughs> it. Well, it's just like you think about it this way. Like the the here's the bookie's plan, right? I'm gonna rig this football game. How am I gonna rig this football game? Well, this teenager owes me a shit ton of money. <laughs> the teenager who works at my hair salon. I'm going to have her go and hang out with the opposing team. And then lie about being raped so that that team will be thrown in jail so That's my right. team will win. Like That's they, right. Like, but, but I, also follow through on the sex. Like, not yes, just yes, be in the yeah, room yes. and disappear. Like, she has to get done by the guy. By the guy and, you know, really So many things have to go right. So yeah, many yeah. dominoes have to fall. She's very method in her acting. Like, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's just yes. Yes, very, very bizarre. It's, um, like, 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 I thought... Okay, because I didn't remember the episode because it's been so long. I thought, if she turns out to be a liar, I wonder if it's going to be because she has an abusive dad at home or maybe she has, like, some kind of um, crazy boyfriend or something. That, yeah. That, that yeah. It's still been politically incorrect, but at least kind of plausible. But I, I was mm-hmm. not expecting, I was in really heavy to a bookie. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and 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 just just to kind of like how the sh- how the show gets us there is really funny too because well first thing that happens is that we see uh, Torres at family dinner. Um, he's pissed off, you know. The priest whatever. is there. And, the priest uh, is there. Good stuff. Although Williams the next morning lets him know that you've only got one mom's, uh, which really like makes him mm-hmm. uh, uh, think real hard about that. Um, but then the, together they go and track down the girl and at our at her home up in Harlem. Uh, she concedes that she does have the boyfriend, but the den- denies that like she is doing this for the specific reason. And then they find her little brother and her little brother is wearing some sneakers that are just a little bit too nice. And she in, in, in the little boy's like, hey, mister, I got these sneakers. Well, that's not the voice. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Hold on. Hold on. That's not the voice at all. That's that's That's, that's, that's Fleet Street <laughs> undercover. Yeah. That's, that, that's <laughs> Manchester undercover. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Oi, mister, I got these sneakers from me dad. Um, and uh, it turns out. shoe shining all days. So it's like these, these shoes are a little too nice. What's going on? Her sister or his sister gave him the shoes. Well, what the hell? So then next. Uh, also, let's just say real quick. They just seem like this a weird assumption. Like, yeah, she's supportive for she, Like, you never know what she has going on. Yeah, she might yeah. save, fucking know. She it's might just save money. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's it's, also, it's, also, it's like, yeah, they're nice sneakers, but it's like, what? It's a hundred bucks? Like, come on. These are even, kids. It's, it is hundred so, bucks in kid, 90s money, which is a little bit Even in 90s money, you never yeah. know if she saved birthday money. Like, you yeah, have you no never idea know. what. What yeah. happened there? Also, she works in a salon. She probably gets nice tips. Come on. There's only one way in the 90s that you can make 100 bucks fast, and that was false rape accusations. Exactly Everyone knows that's this. exactly right. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, even back then, like, I lived at home. I used to own, like, uh, expensive Timberlands and expensive sneakers because I, I had no expenses. Like, any money I had, right. I yeah. could yeah. save it and buy stuff. So, yeah, it was well, just and, a yeah. weird jump. And it's New York, right? Like, you yeah. know, your shoes matter. I don't. It's so yeah. weird. Um, anyway, next up, uh, they go meet Williams' informant, who's a guy doing the classic selling AV equipment out of the back of a truck. <laughs> I, I think it's a character you don't really see anymore. Like, like the guy who's just 
a little guy in the th- on a totem pole, mm-hmm. but somehow just a little guy knows just everything. Knows, knows everything. He he just somehow just ha- knows what like the guy at the top of the food chain is doing. Right. Like, and, and I feel like I feel like we should bring that back. Like it's just the guy with the folding table who sells like phone chargers. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know what? Tony Shalhoub needs work. So let's let's put him back. He's yeah, got basil. Yeah. He's fine. He, he, he's doing three card money or selling phone yeah. chargers. Yeah. But yeah. If you ask him, yeah. So the, the head of the cartel, this is what he has going on. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, I saw him last week. So um, and who can be bought for like twenty bucks too? Like right, right, not right, only right. everyone trusts him with all their information, he gives it f- pretty much freely. I'm in a book club with the largest cocaine dealer in Dumbo. Let's go. <laughs> so Williams's informant lets them know that there is a bookie who's taking bets on the game. Um, and, and really from here on out, it, it unfolds more or less the way that you would expect. Well, actually, yeah. no, that's not true at all. What am I saying? No, it doesn't. <laughs> we got to go undercover, Josh. Because the plan that they come up with then is to entrapment. get to the bookie is wild. Uh, I mean, first of all, the message of the episode is under no circumstances believe women. Uh, right, but right, right. The, the second thing is that they want to entrap because they don't know about the bookie at first. And in order to find this out, they have to use Lieutenant Cooper. Uh, right. They make her go undercover, which is strange on a show called New York Undercover that you don't have your two leads actually ever go undercover. You and, have and, and Lieutenant. Also, doesn't it seem like they're doing the pilot and they're like, wait a minute, we should probably have something undercover in the pilot right. of all episodes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, sure. I, even, I even watched the other episode that gets labeled the pilot, which is either the second episode or the episode that aired first and then this one. Anyway, uh, I watched that one, which was about a car theft ring. They don't go undercover for any point in that episode either. So like the first two episodes of the show out of the gate, they're just like, no, nope. <laughs> oops, uh, we're just right. You're just doing law and order again. But they uh, so Lieutenant Cooper dresses up as a tabloid reporter, I guess, in order right. to get uh, the 16 the year old to admit on camera that she lied about the rape. I think it calls something like a primal affair or whatever. And at the time, uh, a current affair. The Maury Povich uh, mm. version was like a oh. big, big show. So they're kind of trying to uh, spoof or, you know, uh, portray that like that kind of show. Right, right. She gets her to basically admit to the whole thing, but then tell this tell the story about the bookie, how she was like, he would kill me if I didn't do it. Right. So uh, they they just confront him in the salon and he throws Kool-Aid at them. And uh, what what proceeds is a chase sequence, uh, the silliest rooftop chase sequence I've ever seen. I they, thought it was delightful. They I leap like thirty this. feet and just kind of oh, like yeah. land, and then they're just like fine, and it's it's and, fun. Like, and, and, and why didn't Torres jump? Was it because he was afraid to jump, or he just had a brainstorm of a better way, or whatever? Because he just kind of looks like, oh no, I'm not doing that shit. It just seemed yeah. very. Weird. He wasn't feeling well on the day, you know. He he, <laughs> yeah. he had had something really bad from the. Food I mean, it cart didn't work out. It was just I wish I understood why he didn't jump. Yeah, it does because also the cut that they do for him landing is they cut uh, to I think the first guy jumping, and then they cut away to like the detective's reaction shots. But then they just cut to him already like on the ground, like you don't really see him land. Mm-hmm. It's just like it's so clearly that there was no jump involved. Right. Yeah. Um, but but uh, they catch him on the street. They catch him on the street. Uh, Torres tackles him. Williams Mirandizes him. And uh, then we have our closing scene, which is at a bar. Uh, now, this bar is sort of the staple of every episode. Every episode's going to have at least one scene in this bar. Um, uh, the OC would go on to in, steal in, this in 10 years uh, in order yeah. to bring on so, new So Eddie's acts. dad, I don't know if he does in the first season or if he gets a hold of it later, but I, the second season kind of hinges around Eddie's dad, Mike Torres, owning the bar. Right. 
But, um, but here when he just kind of seems to be a customer, he's just having a little, a nice yeah. little Yeah, he coke. seems like a regular. I don't know if he actually owns it yet or not. Yeah. Uh, Eddie has a heart-to-heart with his dad, and his dad says, uh, you need to get over yourself and go. Uh, do you want, he says, do you want to be stupid like me? Go talk to your mom. Uh, she might be dying, and this might be the last chance you have to do so. So Eddie mans up, and he goes to uh, visit his mom, and uh, his mom is surrounded by his entire family and the priest. Uh, and from earlier. From earlier, and she's about to go into surgery, and there's a nice little uh, reunion there. And that's it. Executive producer Dick Wolf. That's yep. that, We've done it. Yeah, the next one to me is the batshit <laughs> craziest one. Yes! I am so happy that I picked this one, because I remember yes. reading yeah. the synopsis and being like, this is, I, we've got to do this one. It's the perfect Dick Wolf ripped from the headlines yeah. schlock. Like most Dick Wolf shows, it's just like, I don't know, someone died, let's go through the steps. And then every once in a while, inspiration strikes the writing room. And you get some of the worst shit you've ever seen oh, in your fucking life. Horrible. One of the problems I had with uh, SVU, which I don't like, is I feel mm-hmm. like it's really trying to use titillation and sensationalism and disguise it as concern and yes. commentary. Yeah. And this is that, but worse. Because oh, it's God, just, yeah. oh, I mean, God. they're clearly trying to dangle. Is it, w- w- When's she going to get raped? Come on, is, yeah. is it going to happen? Yeah. And they, they, like, they could have... I'm not against them depicting child rape as far as, like, you know, addressing that it happens and building a mm-hmm, story mm-hmm. around it. But they're clearly trying to, like, you know, get you, like, um, anticipating and drooling yeah. for it. It's so but, creepy. Yeah, creepy. Yeah. But also give you license to feel like you're on the moral side of it you know because he gets his come mm-hmm. up in so mm-hmm. it's like yes. i feel like mm-hmm. what he's doing for the audience is okay you get to enjoy um this titillating um creepy little fantasy yeah but also you get to feel like a good person because you can cheer the person and yeah so, so it, was, it was very just weird why, like why did they show the yeah, pictures so, so my that, yeah, that well, to me is so, so, so many Let's start with the beginning of yeah. this yeah. episode yeah yeah because the opening itself has its own kind of insanity <laughs> um i burst out laughing because it's another montage it's stuff happening you know it's it's kind of different from the law and order format so where it's funny. like a it's scene this... right before someone gets attacked or right, killed right yeah. it's a montage of something going on right. before you get to the the opening and so it's like this girl, she's talking to someone on one of those weird 90s computer things that they come up with because they don't want to show Windows. She's still using a command prompt based user interface in 1995 <laughs> or so, whatever. Yeah, so she's 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 talking to this guy this on like girl. Usenet. This is a teenage girl who's just put and on she's some going lipstick. to school. She's coming back home. Right. She's on the computer. Right. You see her taking some like nice portrait studio photos where it's like it could be an, it, it could be something at the mall or something like that. Right. right. And real, then real Sears s- portrait studio hours yeah. over here. Then you see her step out of the house and then you see someone just throw a trash <laughs> bag into a dumpster with her hand hanging out of it. <laughs> it was the most abrupt. Wait, 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 like, wait, wait. What was what was that? I don't understand what that was. It was, was, it was another that case. Was, it was uh, yeah. it was oh. the like 
Oh, was it? Oh, the yeah, because it was the like other a girl. different girl. It's yeah, the other yeah. different girl. And we'll get there, but yeah. yeah. It was so but it was, just that, like... That was the fake out. It's like... And also... Um, but it also fact, made no sense because was he overlapping? Like, he was still... Yeah, because it made it look like it was that girl who had just but been they're doing a fake the out. They, they, they do these fake outs in these yeah. shows but, a lot. But, but even um, the fake out, that would mean that he was still disposing of the other girl when he was working on this girl. I think it was a different guy as well. I think it was a different person. Was it a different guy? Oh, no, I don't know. Anyway, it's hard to tell because we couldn't see faces on any of the long true, shots. Because, but uh, <laughs> anyway, we, this is this is the episode Digital Underground. This is a season two episode. So at this point, you know, we've had some experience with these characters. And um, after the opening credits, naturally, Torres and Williams are on the case. Um, they and, and, and here's the thing. The girl that is now missing is the lieutenant's daughter. So the stakes so, could not be stakes um, are more very, very muddled um, <laughs> because they spend a lot of time in this episode being like, oh, we have to get the lieutenant's daughter back. And then just a lot of time just chilling. Right. You know, um, like, it seems it seems like so important. And also like, I mean, we'll find her eventually. Right. It's, so, you know, so, it sweeps. So Torres and Williams immediately go to the lieutenant's house. Uh, she has a computer. The, the girl has her, her this the lieutenant's daughter has a computer in her bedroom. Uh, and she's been on American Link Up, which is definitely yes. not AOL. <laughs> I'm glad you wrote it down, Josh, because so, I was like, it, it was something. It was funny. so funny to me. Um, it's the and, precursor to LinkedIn. Uh, exactly. She, she exactly. was looking for jobs. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, there's pedophiles out there on the internet. That's all there is on the internet. It's just a bunch of pedophiles. Um, and you know yeah, how you can tell they're remember. pedophiles is if they tuck their shirt into uh, their pants. That's right, AJ. <laughs> so this is 1995. Right. So this is. Pretty novel as far as the like, hey, you know the internet thing. There's pedophiles out there. Have you ever noticed how synonymous on TV? I mean, I don't know if it's still like this today, but balding is with pedophilia. Like, I always feel like on TV shows, yeah, they always have a receding hairline or a bald spot. This guy had a bald spot. Like, like, and I'm I'm surprised they didn't give him wire wireframe glasses. Yeah, that too. The Jeffrey Dahmer glasses. Yeah, Trevor. Let me tell you, in terms of the roles I'm being sent out for, (laughs) yeah, no, I'm aware about the balding thing, (laughs) pedophilia link. I'm very familiar. (laughs) Yeah, it's a bizarre thing, but apparently, I guess I don't know. The little brother. Let's Torres and Williams know that um, and, and mom lets all of them know that she was talking to her computer friend. She's yes. had a computer friend and that's who she's been talking to. Right. And um, then we do a cut and we find out that actually she is still alive. The pedophile uh, has brought her to a park and they're hanging out there. And she's and, like, I want to call my mom. Right. I want to call my family. Right. And he and says, like, calling well, will make them more crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Torres and Williams pull the chat logs. Also, uh, the dad is J. Walter Weatherman from Arrested Development, which I thought was really funny. Which is also, uh, we're going to get a J. Walter Weatherman moment in the next episode, too. We which certainly I'm are. Very excited about. <laughs> um, and, you know, this is this is like, we see now this is intercut with the pedo grooming the little girl into shooting sexier pics. And this is just a Stranger Danger PSA, right? Like, that's all this is. This, yeah. This, yeah. And, this, and it's another one of those things where, like, he convinces her to stay at his house for multiple days, you know, and, and she doesn't call home. It's another one of those things where, like with the previous episode, it's like it would make more sense if, like, the home situation was different. Yes. If it was, like, if mm-hmm. she had an adversarial relationship yeah, with exactly. her mom or something like that, which is right. actually more in line with <laughs> the, the reality of these sorts of and cases. And they almost tried to hint at it as in, like, uh, she was, when the 
parents are talking like there was something she wasn't getting from here right. and whatever yeah in, in a conversation but then yeah. when they reunite there's no sign that there was ever any friction at all right yeah so you, it's, you it's, it. it becomes more like hey nice white suburban parents uh, don't give your children too much freedom. Well, yeah, it's, it's like well, I mean, I, I think that line, Trevor, that you brought up is interesting because the whole thing is Megan sat at that computer for the same reason kids join a gang. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was Which that was like, line. I don't, I don't think that's true. Well, and, and what's interesting about this whole thing too is like, you know, this is uh, the show is is not targeted toward the kind of people that this, yeah, this audience, episode feels oh, different a great point. from yeah, the yeah. demographic of the main show. Yeah, yeah. 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 The kind of scared white boomers. That yeah. Would... This feels, this feels like an SVU episode, but it's yeah. not because clearly the audience that this episode is written for is not the audience that would actually be watching this show, but whatever. I mean, it, because like yeah, the, the, it's it's implied yeah, like maybe it got rejected from another Dick Wolf show and they passed the script. It's over possible or because it's so weirdly sense. different from a lot of the other stuff. Anyway, I would just like to take a moment to say that the pedophile's screen name is Star Stephen Nine Five Seven Pound Sign. <laughs> <laughs> Which hashtags the... went backwards back then? Uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. It was it was a different time. Um, <laughs> Anyway, they, they pull the chat logs, um, they print the chat logs, they find a mention, because it had to be printed out in order to be real, um, and they find a mention of the park that they met up at. Uh, no dice when they go there, though, and uh, we get the line, if he's smart, he's lost in cyberspace, which I... Mm. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> Neuromancer. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's so funny, even today, writers have no idea how the internet works. So God, no, it was absolutely really worse not. Back then. Yeah. Um, so, I always think about the Law and Order episodes where they have to go in a video game or something, or like a Criminal mm-hmm. Minds episode where they have to go into a video game, and it's always the worst video game you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> oh yeah, the X Files. Yeah. Um, so the the writer, I just wanted to look up the writer oh, yeah. here. It's Shane Salerno. He's white. What? No. He, <laughs> I, I'm trying to see if he was working on another Dick Wolf. No, he worked on New York Undercover. Maybe he's auditioning for a Dick Wolf show. Maybe this was his thing. Like, yeah, that's it's gonna be his big for break. another one. Like, like, like if, if I can do this, I can show the dick that I can that's be right. upgraded to Law and Order. He he wrote the 2000 Shaft. Oh, that was and a bad movie. Now he's writing the Avatar sequels. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> They're making Avatar sequels to the M. Night Shyamalan uh, version? Or oh, no, 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 no. To the uh, James Cameron. Oh. There's, no, there's three sequels Avatar being made to James Cameron. There's a live action movies. Netflix show happening for Last Airbender. But and, and those those Avatar movies, movies have been in development hell for years. Yeah, since years. Yeah. It's what I happens mean, when you set an entire movie and do it like five movies from the beginning. Yeah. Back to the episode. We go to the we go we go back to the club and fucking Brandy is there. Yeah, Brandy. <laughs> yeah, Brandy. And and Tevin Campbell. Yeah. And oh my God, that was one of the best <laughs> musical performances. Well then that was weird too about choosing that performance that I didn't, yeah. I didn't get. Is that it's such a sexual song and a sultry performance. I'm like, why are they having kids singing grown folk sexual music yeah yeah episode about pedophilia it just seemed like a weird choice i don't know if it was a clueless one or if it was some kind of statement they were trying to make (laughs) two young people i i wonder if because you were talking about how like the music felt like what you listened to last week right yeah and so they film all these of course separately you know they 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 film the two people on stage maybe a few extra extras and then like they'll shoot the shot of whoever is in the club so you know, those recording artists are 
somewhere else on a totally different day recording that. And I wonder if it's just a matter of a contract negotiation, you know, for the record company where it's like maybe this single is getting released. They're going to put it in this episode Mm -hmm. a week later, no matter what is in the episode. I mean, that's that's how I felt most of the time, because a lot of times the music never matched up with what was going on. Like, I remember one time they had the song 93 Till Infinity by Souls of Mischief, and they were doing doing a, a bust and raiding a drug den. Like it had nothing to do with, yeah, you sure. know, but it was just it was just dope. It just worked. But yeah. this is the first time where, uh, horribly, uh, the music actually had some kind of link to yeah. the subject, yeah. but in the in worst the wor- way, uh, in the worst yeah. possible <laughs> way. One, one of the few times the music actually has some kind of thematic resonance with the show, but in a... And you, and you don't want it to. Yeah, exactly. Like the, like <laughs> the, the worst like of the, all the, possible song choices. The only time you yep. have two underage people as they act, there is in a pedophilia episode. We also learn that, um, you know, the club is now owned or has been owned by by Eddie's dad. It's, it's not in the best financial shape right now. Williams comes in to have a chat with his lady. He hopes that it yep. is all behind him. I don't know what it is, but it's implied that he has like a, a, a dark background of some sort. Um, and He's going to spend more time with this kid. Oh, oh, wait, wait. By the way, that's not his lady. Um, that's oh. his baby's mother. His- his, oh, yeah. oh, oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, yes. he, the Alaskan woman is his uh, girlfriend, but for some reason she was absent from that episode, and I'm not sure why. We're back with J. Walter Weatherman again, who's feeling bad. We find out that the girl's body who was found in the dumpster was a different girl. Um, American Linkup has these things called chat rooms, is something that we learn. Uh, <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then we move to... What to me? I also like that. Apparently, no one can be traced on the internet. Nobody. It's just nobody. never. It's only there were some once. directory. Is what I think <laughs> the lieutenant said, and I was like, um, I, I'm pretty sure there is. There is. And then, and then they they like brought up like you know because they they do get this credit card info that they're right. able to act on, but they're like trying to trace him. They're like, but he could be accessing this through a cell phone, right? And then that would which, <laughs> take no, he, ages. Which and, also, no, he couldn't. You wouldn't be dialing no, up through a cell phone back then. That, that, yeah. No, wrong. He's already using five G. <laughs> he's, he's using 5G to do pedophilia in the 90s. There's a few other things that happen here. Um, the pedo continues to groom the girl, and it's actually a really upsetting scene. Oh, it's we have to remember they do the photo here, shoot, and it yeah. lasts here like we, so six or, Here we have an actor who is actually 14 years yeah, old. I really didn't like And they're this. doing this photo shoot scene, and they're they're spending a, a lot of time on her getting her blouse off. Not good. And, and what's with the weird sexy Ugh. music playing yeah. during the photo shoot? Oh, yeah. it's just very horrible. I, I didn't want any of that nope. happening. Nope. Um, so many ways you could have done that without actually feeling like you were taking advantage of a, a, a child. Yes. And this is yeah. why I feel like they wanted to like titillate like perverts. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Like, absolutely. And so from here, uh, Williams and Torres track down the person with the credit card, but it turns out that, you know, the pedo had just stolen this guy's credit card. Some, it, this is just some guy um, yeah, who is doing- like, well, I was fixing to get a computer someday. Yeah, but- whatever. Um, Williams is then doing bonding time with his son. He says, Roller come on now. He sounds, he sounds just like baby Billy from, uh, from Regis <laughs> Gems. So he's like, come on now, come on now. Uh, it's very, it's very, fu- it's very funny to me because we spend. I was like, oh, we're spending so much time watching this rollerblading happen, and then when his son actually got it, I was like, yay! Yeah, like, sweet. Actually, like, these, you did it, buddy. These scenes, these scenes are nice, and I watched a couple of other episodes besides what we had on mm-hmm. the list, and I was like, 
the character stuff is actually pretty good. Yes. Yeah, I would I would totally be into a show that actually spends time on it instead of kind of being like, well, we got to put in one scene. Well, and you could. Well, I'm you, so you interested. Know. You tried other episodes because I was thinking like these were just such a bad selection. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was only it was only like two others, and I didn't really like them. But um, <laughs> but the the like family scenes, the yeah. actual relationships that the characters had, I, I thought was like. Oh, there, there's something here. Yeah, the character work was better than the actual plots most of mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. Um. So then, uh, from here on out, it more or less unfolds the way that you would expect. Um. They're able to f- uh, sting a couple people in a chat room. One of whom is Allison Janney, <laughs> and then yes. they they bring her in. I didn't. I didn't understand that. Like, what were they doing? Are were they pedophiles themselves? Or did yeah. They they, yeah. So they were just people who were sharing child pornography. Right. Oh. Um. So like this guy who was taking these photos was sending them to other people who were then sharing them among their communities. And apparently, it's only a misdemeanor at this time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I to guess. be distributing which, those materials, which it's definitely not. It's definitely not. not. It never would be. This would always be a felony. This would always be a federal felony because you are using uh, infrastructure that's transferring across state lines. I'm honestly not sure. what. Well, it's also it's also Alice and Janney just being so blase about child pornography and saying variety is the spice of life. Am I right? (laughs) I actually remembered something. I remember it being good. Ice-T played an ongoing villain that became like a nemesis, like a drug kingpin. Oh, that sounds okay. great. Oh, that's actually amazing. Yeah, and I wish I remembered because he actually sets up a ongoing trick where he uses and he kidnaps, I think, William's son. And okay. he becomes like a bona fide okay. like, uh, foil that they build up over multiple um, seasons. He was a chemistry whiz called Danny Up. Then the, and he kills uh, JC's uh, pregnant fiance. Holy and then shit. they have a bitter like blood feud for like a couple of seasons. Wow. That ends up with him sending a double agent to get into William's good graces and then betray him to Danny up later. It was, it was kind of the closest they had to like an ongoing, um, interesting kind of yeah. plot instead of a one-off, like a like a extended storyline. Well, and, and in this one, it kind of felt like Giancarlo Esposito was part of some sort of larger plot too, involving the, like the club or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, uh, he, he was. It's a, he was kind of like William's uh, arch enemy. So-, um, so just to kind of then wrap up what happens here, um, the, the, the pedos are coerced into being an asset um, so that they're able to better track down the pedo. The, Lieutenant's daughter, this, I fucking hated this scene. This is so just Deeply awful. fucking upsetting. I, mm-hmm. um, and not like in a, in a, oh, wow, really makes you think kind of way, but again, a really like gross, like titillating, exploitative, exploitative kind yeah. of way. Yeah. Um, she gives the pedo a little kiss on the cheek and then he fucking goes for it. Um, and then we see her taking a shower and just feeling bad about herself in a way that is also really felt gross and like sexualizing yeah, of a yeah. minor. Yeah. Yeah. Not a fan. yeah. It was just, it was just weird. Like we need to see all that expo- exposed shoulder and back. And it's also it's- very different. I thought from how something like SVU often treats the situation, which is like, you will hear them talking about it in a way that is very like detached and academic, even if they go into explicit detail, but you yeah. won't see the thing happening. Yeah. Um, in that way. I don't know, man. Anyway. Yeah, cause well, cause SVU kind of, you know, it's following the murder mystery format, right? right? Where it's always just like the death happens just off screen right. and then right. people recreate it 
you know, verbally. They're piecing it together. They're piecing yeah. together what happened. Whereas here we have to see it, and, and I did not like it. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, and and they need to see it, and also it, as usual, felt. I mean, they need to, they didn't they didn't need to take that long to have her no, get raped. No. First off, no, they need no. to have her get raped yeah. on screen, but they need to take that long. And I felt like... They didn't need they, to have they, her get raped, period. Yeah, they didn't have, they didn't have yeah. her get raped, period. But they also didn't need to do it on screen. There's three things. They need to have. They didn't need to have her get raped, number one. Number two, they need to have it on screen. Yeah. Number three, they didn't need to make you just wait on the edge of your seat <sighs> like, I know it's going to happen. Uh, when they get there yeah. in time. Yeah. Uh, whatever. And it's just, they're playing will they, won't they cliffhanger with... Yes. Uh, is she gonna get raped? Which is really tacky enough cool. on its own. Yes. But then to actually give a payoff, and I say that in like scare quotes, where she does right, get yeah. raped is uh even even worse. This is just a really tacky episode. All yeah, it's, it, it's also like it makes me really worried that it was so highly rated at IMDb that like you know yes. that, that and then not Spawn perhaps for the reasons I, I can I can go and check and see because I mean highly rated might mean that like twelve people right. yeah eighteen ratings right. there are eighteen ratings on this and, episode. And would, but, but also context wise I mean even though it's like a while after I mean the vibe of Bernard gets slash death wish slash that vigilante mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. People used to really like that. Like people mm-hmm. used to like a lot of uh the wife and daughter getting raped and killed so that yeah. we can not yeah. get really mad at the person and watch them yep. die. Well, that was a very and, and popular that's, And that's what ends up happening here, right? Is you know, she the the, the girl's able it to really escape. is just death wish. Yeah, yeah. It's death <laughs> yeah. wish. The girl's able to escape. <laughs> she whacks him over the head with a wine bottle and escapes and comes back to her mom and dad. But there isn't enough evidence to convict the guy based on the results of the rape kit examination. And so, which also that whole conversation. It doesn't make any sense. You have entire conversations like you have physical evidence. Whatever, dude. And and she knows where he lives. And and there's too much physical evidence there. And it's a it's what's called a strict liability crime where where a child cannot consent and mm-hmm. yeah, all right. the circumstantial right. evidence it doesn't matter it doesn't matter there's yeah. enough there to, to nail the guy but point they they go back to williams and torres then go back to the apartment the the perp's already gone uh and so then uh they set up another nice like multifaceted various people staked out undercover bust which is set to an original extremely cheesy rap song called computer love not, not that, that computer, computer love, love. yeah <laughs> That would have been fucking awesome. If this was, was like educational, oh socially God, conscious rap. Oh my God, it was rap. so funny. Yeah. Now, if, it, um, if it was Computer Love by Zapp and Roger, I'd be all over it, but sadly it was not. <laughs> um, chase sequence in the park. Guy gets in his car and peels out. Well, first uh, again, he does pick up a child yeah, and then yeah, immediately yeah. put her down again. As if, I'm like, okay, so he's picking her up so like, you know, they won't shoot him. Like, you know, right. he has a shield. But then, he's got to throw her or something. Yeah, yeah, but immediately he just sets her back down and then keeps running. Like, it, um, it seems like the most unnecessary. It computer. sounds like it was written for the episode. Yeah, it was also written, very, it was written, it's written from the perspective of the pedophile. The pedophile yeah. is the one rapping. Yes. Yes. Hold on, I have it queued up. I can like play it okay. into the Please. episode. I doubt yes. there's any copyright issues anywhere with this song. We can, yeah. So, Love. Love. 
ever since a juvenile, I've been wild. Now I'm a grown pedophile that hunts for a child. I'm like the average I've been wild. Now I'm a grown pedophile. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. he's going on and on. It's the fucking bad. Yes. I'm so strange, mixed with the rain. Like I'ma put you on TV. I talk freaky dinky. Then hook up a place for you to meet me. And with this scheme, I lower in team. You fit magazines and look lovely on the screen. It's easy picking, and that's how you pick them. But you pick dumb this time, you pick the wrong victim. Young people better watch where you step Cause freaks like me you will never suspect Computer love I'm a grown pedophile And he's getting way too into it I'm like who is this song for? Like, I'm like this can't be a real song who would How did they find someone who was like Yeah I'll, I'll rap that <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah and he, I will I will say these words with my voice He really committed to oh, the yeah, character like, I'm love. coming for your little kids Let me know <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Like he, he, he totally goes for it. Um, which, which makes, which makes what ends up happening at the end here even better, right? Because after the pedophile rap and under the pedophile rap, then, um, you know, the lieutenant, uh, she whips out her gun and just administers, administers full on gunishment. Just kills him. Um, it <laughs> just runs awesome. out into the street, shoots straight through his windshield. Just point blank. Blows very away. lucky he veers off and doesn't oh just like God. slump over the <laughs> yeah. wheel and run also, down. Also very lucky that like she didn't accidentally hit anybody else. That oh, like yeah. collateral damage occurred. Oh, like it's God, so yeah. bad. And, but, and, and it ends so abruptly. Like he right. has a smirk at the screen. Yeah, yeah, and then it's Dick, Dick Wolf. Wolf. <laughs> Executive producer Dick Wolf. Uh, the stakeout so was horrible because I mean I'm not uh expert on real stakeouts, but based on uh, my TV stakeout expertise, you right. usually have the cops at different sides of the stakeout to cut off escape routes. Right. And yeah. everybody's on one side. Yeah. Yeah. They blow yeah. it. Yeah. Wait, are you are you saying you didn't buy Williams as the uh guy <laughs> sweeping the leaves looking suspiciously at the bench and nowhere else? That that didn't sell it oh for you? And, and both of them on the same next to each other. So that yeah. Like high fiving the whole time, just like yeah. yeah. Instead of on the other side. This gave him a clear escape route. Yep. To, uh, well, I, I, you know, I think the thing about like this, ep this is hands down the worst episode of the ones that we watched, but I actually loved it for the camp value. Oh, yeah. The, you know, the, the I wish oh, that early, early Internet stuff is always yeah. just going to be the funniest thing. I in still wouldn't recommend that anybody actually watch this episode because no. the, 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 the stuff with the with the girl is honestly just genuinely upsetting to watch. Yeah, it's nauseating. And, yeah. Um, if it if they hadn't had that stuff and had just talked about it the whole time, it would have been fucking funny and I would recommend it because of like all the chat room shit and all that, but it's just It's really impossible to recommend this one. So many possible worlds, but we got this one. folks 
So this is a premium episode. So if you want to listen to us talk about the two-parter, which dealt with a spate of black church arsons in 1995 and 1996, and handles the story about as well as it handles, well, what you've heard already, go to our Patreon and give us a little uh, click for subscribing. The a click is money. Give us, give us money. Uh, and you will be joining the ranks of such lovely people as Ash Stoneman, Dara Swisher, Otto White, Nikola Donov, Silverbear909, Timmy Sexton, and Tony Diddy. See you later. <laughs>